0: Today, we are going to talk about marriage, just for one week, because after one sermon, everyone's marriage is going to be all fixed and we'll be good to go. Um, I recognize that there are times where all marriages go through difficult seasons, and I know in our church, there's been, there's been marriages that have been through some ups and downs recently. This is, this is one of the ways that our spiritual enemy is going to attack our families, is to come at the marriages that we have, the marriages that are represented here. So we are praying for you, married couples. We want our marriages to be strong, and so we're going to talk about that today. If you are a single person here or a young person here, there's still good stuff in here for you to listen to, all right? This is, you know, maybe you will get married someday. This has a lot to do with unity and commitment and love for other people, even if it isn't your spouse. But I'd love to, if you are single, if you used to be married and you're not anymore, if you want to be married someday, this is all good stuff, okay? So we can all, don't check out on me. You're not second-class citizens today if you are single or not married, okay? So we're going to jump in. Christy and I have been married for 22 years, right? <laughs> 22 years. 22 years. Fun fact, we got married on the day the movie Titanic came out. So we did not we did not see that as an omen of any sort. <laughs> but that was the day, 1997, December 19th, 1997. Um, in my heart, I've made room for Christy on the raft, unlike what... <laughs> see what I did there?
1: I'll never let go.
0: Thanks. Um, but we are recognizing that after 22 years in our 23rd year, marriage still takes some work. I used to hear stories when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I would hear stories of married couples that had been married for like 25, 30 years, and then they got a divorce after like 30 years or 25 years of marriage. And I remember thinking, that sounds crazy. Like after, why would you stick it out for 25 years? After that, you should have it all figured out. Like you, why would people get married or divorced after that long? Now after 22 years, I tend to think, huh, you know, man, because eh. <laughs> it takes a lot. Of, it takes some work. You don't. Okay. You don't okay, get into the.
1: That's good. Keep keep talking. Keep talking.
0: What we need, if you're a sports fan, which maybe half the room is, you know, when you're watching a game, a basketball game, it has the win probability, like <laughs> the win probability going up, and then if there's a big comeback, the win probability drops off. We'll have like a. We should have a running meter, a fight probability for the Kerr family today. We're we're doing all right.
1: I would agree. It's hard. It's hard. I'm teasing, but it is. It's hard. And um, the longer you're married, it's hard when you start. It's hard in the middle. It's hard when your kids are little. It's hard when you have teenagers. It's hard all the time. It takes effort. It takes work. And it takes a commitment to just keep coming back to it. You know, there have been seasons in our marriage that have been really challenging for a number of different reasons. There have been seasons where things were challenging because our kids were going through stuff there were seasons that things were challenging because we as individuals were going through a hard time where i wasn't healthy or he wasn't healthy or we were going through something personally that then affected us so there's so many variables and so we just want to encourage you no matter where you're at today and we want to recognize that some of you you know you have had a marriage that hasn't worked out this That's okay. You know what? We want, God loves you no matter what. I don't want you to feel any judgment today. And as we talk about what it means to stay committed in marriage, we also recognize that there are circumstances where that isn't possible. So if you are ever in a situation where you're in danger or you're being mistreated or there's some things going on, we want you to always know that we will support you to help get help. And there are times in marriages where one partner is incredibly unhealthy and it is not. Safe for you to stay there. And so um, we want to preface all of that because we're going to talk about what it takes to stay committed and to, to keep showing up, to keep working on things. But we also want you to know we recognize that sometimes that's really hard. And so it does, it takes work.
0: Yes. So we're going to start with this idea that marriage is God's idea. This was not something that was invented by society. You know, uh, this wasn't invented by the Romans or anything like that. It wasn't, a, this was from the beginning. God created man and woman. God created them equal, unique in his image, um, and to be joined together in a union, in marriage, to help one another, to support one another, to be united. We we talk about the union of marriage. That's the same word as united, to be together, to be one. Um, There is uh, a part of this. I just felt like I wanted to add this in here today, and my kids are going to start squirming about this, this part. Uh, that is why in the Bible we see that sex is between husband and wife in marriage. In our world today, what we're going to hear is that there's no that it's just casual sex. It's just you can have sex with all sorts of people and it's just fine. Well, what we see in Scripture and the way God designed it is that there's no such thing as casual sex. You are, through that act, you are becoming united with that person. So I wanted to let you know, teenagers, because you're going to, I know you're uncomfortable with me saying that word right now. <laughs> stop laughing or I'm just going to keep saying it
1: (laughs) they're all you can't see they all have their faces covered like this and they're shrinking further down
0: (laughs) your parents have done that (laughs) (laughs) and you can count the kids in your family four kids and (laughs) (laughs) means they've done that four times (laughs) sorry sidetrack Yes. Anyways,
1: rain it in, Cur. That's all right. It's all right. Oh, we're man. family.
0: Um, <laughs> the world is going to tell you that that's just part of growing up, that it's a casual thing. It's not a commitment thing. It is a commitment thing. It is something that will unite you to that person. That is why the Bible says that it's a good idea for you to wait until you are married, okay? And there's grace there. Um, I know for some people here, they're like, oh, I wish I would have done that. Um, we're always glad that we did that. Um, I'm glad that, yeah, never mind, moving on. Okay, so there is, marriage is God's idea, to help one another, support one another, to be a union. In Mark 10, verse 6 through 9, this was Jesus talking. When when the religious leaders, again, at odds with Jesus, came and asked him, is it lawful for a husband to divorce a wife? This is what Jesus' response was. He is quoting some of the verses from the Genesis account of creation when God created man and woman. This is Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 6. This is Jesus talking. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife." And the two will become one flesh. That's what we're talking about today. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Maybe those words were in your wedding vows or during your wedding ceremony. The two have become one, and what God has joined together, and we believe that God has joined this together, the union of marriage, let no one separate. Marriage is unity. Marriage is unity. This is the two of you will become one. So I think a lot of issues in marriage would be made less difficult. If Christy and I ever are in a conflict, when we recognize we're not against each other, we have become one. We are working on this as one union, as one flesh, as one married couple. That helps us realize we've got to stay on the same team. Because we are united. Not only is marriage unity, but marriage, you read in Scripture, it's designed to be a representation of the gospel message. Some of you are like, huh, what does that mean? This is, the, this is why marriage was designed by God in Ephesians. And Christie's going to read these verses and talk more about this in a little bit. But the book of Ephesians compares marriage, husband and wife, to how Christ loves the church and how the church loves Christ. This is... In other words, your marriage is a representation of the gospel message, of Christ's relationship with the church. And some of you are a little bit sobered by that, like, wow, I didn't realize that. But this is why marriage was there, to be an example or an illustration of how much Christ loves the church and how much the church loves Christ. This is what your marriage is an example of.
1: I have a friend who is a missionary overseas, and every year on her anniversary, she posts a picture of them, and it's always the same thing. However many years they've been married, so it'll say, 20 years for his glory and our joy. 21 years for his glory and our joy. And I just love that that is such a beautiful way to frame what marriage is, for his glory that we can Something about the two of us operating as a unit and creating a family that loves God, that there's something in that can create something that brings glory to God. And it also is for our joy. It's for us to be together and to, so it's for our glory and for, or for His glory and for our joy.
0: We had this verse come up in our Thursday night Bible study, or our adult Bible study um, this past week. We're going through a Bob Goff. Uh, Bible study, and he's talking about loving other people, this idea of unity and how much in the body of Christ, being united with each other, just is an example to the world of Christ's love for us. But I thought it applied to marriages as well, since we're talking about marriage and unity. This is in John chapter 17, verse 20. Now, this is after the Last Supper, so this is the night before Jesus was crucified, This is, Jesus knows this, the disciples don't realize this. Jesus has been trying to tell them for a while now, I'm going away soon, I'm going away, I'm going away. And they're like, no, you won't, you'll be with us forever. Um, The Last Supper, Jesus knows this is the last time he's going to speak to his disciples before he's crucified. The disciples don't recognize it, but he does. And so he prays for them after the meal. This is the last prayer he's going to pray with his disciples who have been with him for years. Now, you would think in that moment, Jesus, who's about to leave, would give some last-minute instructions um, to the disciples, like a coach, the pregame speech, like, don't forget this. Like, you'd think that Jesus would have been saying, now, don't forget, you got to do this, and when you pray for people, make sure you pray every day, and don't forget the the things I showed you and the Beatitudes and all those things. You guys got it? You got it? You good? Instead, Jesus prays for his disciples, and he prays this prayer in John chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples. My prayer is also for those who will believe in me through their message. So those who are going to hear the disciples' message and become Christians. So that's us, right? 2,000 years later, that's us. So Jesus is praying for you in this verse right here. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, you and me, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe in that you have sent me, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me. And then here's what I really want you to get today, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Those are sobering words, because what Jesus does there, talking about unity between people, so I wanted to apply that to our marriage. The marriage unity that you have is a way that the world is going to know that there is a God who loves them. The unity that you have in your family is a way that the world is going to know that Jesus is the Son of God. That is sobering. We should probably be mindful of that, how we view marriage in this culture, how, it, how we rank the importance of our marriages in this culture. Because as followers of Jesus, this is how we show the world there is a God, Jesus came, through the unity that we have in our marriages. So we need to protect the unity in our marriage, right? If this is how important it is, married couples, we got to protect that unity. And like I said before, husband and wife, you are on the same team. You're on the same team. You are united. You are one flesh. Let no one separate what God has joined together.
1: When we did premarital counseling, I don't remember a lot of what they said, But I remember the number one thing I took away from that was um, they said, don't let anyone or anything come in between your oneness. So if there's ever anything that comes in between your oneness, be really mindful to get that out of there right away. Because you figure if you start building a wall in between yourself, and it can be good things, and Jeff will talk a little bit more about that. But if there's something that begins to come in between your oneness, if there is anything that is dividing you, you have to watch out for that. I think of, um, have you ever watched a three-legged race where they tie two people's legs together? Anybody, anybody? Yes, Steve Mackey has observed a three-legged race. What? Who are the people that do really well? They're the people that start thinking about, okay, now we're gonna put this leg together and go, and then the other leg, and then But have you ever watched somebody like kids when they do it and they just take off and they're dragging the other person behind them with their legs tied together? I think of that a lot when it comes to marriage, like, hey, hold on a second, if I'm running this way and you're running that way, and we're not thinking about what the other person is doing, that comes in between your oneness, and so uh, the idea of not letting anything come in between your oneness is a really good way to just gauge your life and marriage, like is, am I going this way and you're going that way? Um, even if it's a good thing, am I just, have, have I thought about what you're doing? Right. So don't let anything come in between your oneness.
0: Any of you here on our Christmas, our family Christmas service, like the Sunday morning before Christmas, we had a, a, a little contest where we had two of those two-person sweaters, you know, where you two, a couple shares, and you each get to use one arm. And we had a competition, and the Watkinsons were one couple, so Tim and Brandy Watkinson came up, and the competition was to wrap a present in one of these sweaters, so each person could only use one of their arms to wrap a present. And then we thought it would be funny to have uh, Emma Merricks, who's not here today, her boyfriend Sam was here for the first time. They'd been dating for like a week, and he came to church. And so we're like, hey, Emma and Sam, come on up here too. So the difference between them was funny, because you could tell the married couple, because Tim and Brandy had, I could hear it up here, they just had this kind of shorthand, like nonverbal, just... "Mm And they were like clockwork, <laughs> and they had that thing wrapped quick. And poor Emma and Sam, who didn't have that communication down, it, I think the package got less wrapped as the, <laughs> as the thing went along. So that was another good example of working together, that unity that you begin to have as a married couple. Christy mentioned it. There are things that can come in that might be even be good things, but that gradually build up something that is, that is damaging the oneness, the unity. We were, I was here helping with the floor installation last night. And when I got here, they had, I said, what's going on? Everyone was looking uh, puzzled at one spot. And what had happened was there was one tiny spot where things got a little out of line. Pastor Karen's out there. I told her I was going <laughs> to use this analogy. And, uh, and at first, you know, it's just like, we're like, it's just a tiny little thing. It's just a tiny little thing. No one's ever going to know. So then we went a couple more rows and we realized, oh, it's actually getting worse. You know, each row, each time we build on it, that little crack was there we're like, you know what? The further we go, by the time we get, you know, over to the wall, the floor is going to be turned. This, you know, what started out as a very minor thing, eventually as you add to it, it's just going to compound on it. It's not going to get better. It's, if you don't address it there, get to the root of the problem, it's just going to get worse. So we had to spend some time last night fixing the root of the problem. Some of you in your marriages, you have that. There's been a tiny little thing that's gone unaddressed, and you think, it's going to be fine. We'll just stay busy. We'll just keep going, getting the kids to soccer and all these things. We won't address this little hurt that's here. And you think it's going to go away. You have to address those things. It's just going to get magnified as you go along. There's got to be a moment in every marriage where you can be in a safe place, just completely honest with where you're at. And husbands and wives, I feel like I need to just share this. You have to, if someone, if your spouse is being really honest with you, you got to provide a safe place for them to be honest. And we don't do a good job at that. Because when someone says something that challenges us, or hurt, or offends us, or could be taken the wrong way. Our culture, instantly, we take an offense, and we're like, oh yeah? Well, what about all the weird things you do? What about all the annoying things you do? And instantly, the first spouse is like, okay, this is not a safe place for me to share my thoughts and feelings, the things that could, you know, correct that small little crack or that misalignment, does that make sense? Provide, we've gotta get to the root of some of these problems. Other things that c- that can get in between your oneness are Activities, just a schedule that you go, um, you're constantly busy. You're never connecting as husband and wife. It's constantly kids' schedules and work and church stuff. And you got to know as your pastors, if there's ever a time where you are volunteering in church and it's becoming that thing that is causing a separation in your oneness, or you realize I am overcommitted and I need to step back, we are always going to say, absolutely, you matter more to us than what you do for this church. So whatever you got to do. Now, some of you might be volunteering once a year and you're saying, oh, I'm really tired. I coincidentally on, like, football Sunday, oh, I'm just overwhelmed, I gotta... That's a whole other thing, I'm joking about that. But if there is a time, you gotta let us know, and we will, we'll work around it, because you matter more to us than what you do for this church. One of the reasons I joked about this earlier on in in the sermon, how after 22 years, you can start to think, oh, man, yeah, this still takes work, is because during the little kid years, years like five through 18 of marriage... When you're raising smaller kids, it's just, it's kind of a numbing, bewildering reality that you're living in, right? It's diapers and chaos, it's school and school events, and the things that they ask parents to come to for school now is off the charts for, you got to come see your kid run around the gymnasium three times, and all the parents are like, yay, you're the best. That, that didn't happen when I was a kid. I don't think my parents ever set foot in my school when I was a kid, and I turned out okay, I think. Um, You have that schedule built in of kids and work, and your career is growing. I mean, this is generalizing it, of course. And your kids are involved in things, and you're getting promoted, and there's new things, and there's all these things. If there's a a break in the oneness in your marriage, you don't really notice it. And then when the kids start getting older, and they're kind of on their own, and you have a little more downtime, and your career kind of plateaus, and there's, there's not really a lot of new stuff there, I think that's the cause, and I've mentioned this before, I think that's the cause of a lot of mid-40s melancholy where you're like, there's just not a lot of new anymore, and you realize, oh, we're still married, and we better (laughs) relearn how to like each other again because we were distracted by all these things. There's that ramp-up of activity, and then when you hit the time where it starts to ramp down, you've got to make sure that that is solid because that you could come to the end of that really busy, crazy kid season and realize... We haven't thought about each other in like 12 years, you know, over-exaggerating, of course. So you've got to make sure you have that protection and that unity of your marriage because there's going to be things that will cause damage to that, and you've got to make sure that is solid. I've heard this analogy before that it's like a garden. Your marriage is like a garden. Now, when we got married... Well, maybe when you got married, you tend to think, I'm going to get into marriage, and it's going to be this beautiful garden, and everything's going to be pretty and gorgeous and mature, and it's going to smell beautiful all the time. And really what happens when you get married, and I heard another pastor say this, is you have seeds, and you have dirt, and you've got to make a garden out of it. And that takes some work. You've got to till the soil. You got to plant the seeds. You got to water the seeds. You got to tend to it. There's going to be times when weeds start growing up, and you got to weed out that garden. If you work at it, you're going to end up with a beautiful marriage. If you neglect it, what do a, what does a garden do if it gets neglected? Well, come to our backyard in late July, and you'll find out. Weeds start overgrowing it. There's not the fruit there that there could be because you have been. Ignoring it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up my part here and let Christy talk here. Not let. That sounded terrible. Christy's going to talk here and set me straight. But I just wanted to let you know, this is, a, this is something that we are working on. Protect the oneness. In a time of conflict, that's the biggest thing that could come in between your oneness. And you have to remember, in any conflict, and we've been trying to do this, grow better at this, is when we have a conflict, when we have a fight, it's not me versus her, and some of we think that. Some of us think that. If there's a conflict and I'm fighting with my spouse, it's not you versus your spouse. It's you and your spouse versus the conflict. That's what it is. You're on the same team, and you've got to figure out this conflict. You and your husband or wife versus the conflict. And together, as a united couple, as a union, you can work through that. You can protect the oneness in your marriage.
1: So I think one of the things that can most get in between your oneness is selfishness. And I want to take just a couple minutes to just share a few scriptures that I think really address this. Because nothing will come between your oneness faster than a me mentality. When you And we all do this. It's easy to look at your partner and say, well, you just think about yourself. But we all do this. It's It's human nature to look out for what we want and our needs. And so we have to be really mindful that A marriage that's based on every man for himself is just not going to make it. It's like that three-legged race. It's somebody's running off and dragging somebody, and eventually it's just going to come untied because you can't just be thinking about what you want. Now, I know that this can be difficult because some of you are thinking, this is hard because my spouse never thinks about me, so I don't want to think about what they need because they don't ever think about me. Or some of you are thinking, if I don't look out for myself, no one will. So I understand these are all things, or, or my husband doesn't help me at all, so I'm pretty much on my own anyway, so I'm just gonna start acting like it, because I feel like I'm alone in this anyway, so I just am gonna plow through, and I know so many women that feel like they're just, I'm just doing this on my own anyway, so why would I think about my spouse? But you know, and I understand, sometimes our selfishness is coming from a place of frustration and hurt. That's really real. So I hear you and I see you if that's you. But you know what? The thing about selfishness is it just grows and grows until somebody breaks the cycle. Until somebody breaks that cycle and just says, okay, hold on. We're in this together. Let's regroup. Let's just kind of, let's reset here. And let's talk about what we can do. It takes somebody to say, you know what? what do you need today? How can I help you? What can we do? How can we, how can we do this? And sometimes that act of love will be reciprocated and that attitude will be shown back to you. But even if it isn't, you can know that you have done your part to try and change the tone of your marriage. And you can trust that God will continue to work on your spouse's heart. A lot of times I always just think, Lord, what's my responsibility in this? How can I honor you in this. Even if I don't get exactly what I want back, if I can honor you in my responses and in my reaction, I'm going to trust that you're going to continue to do a work to bring our lives back together. So Ephesians 5 uh, is a really great portion of scripture, and I want to talk to us as husbands and wives today, but us as all believers, because Ephesians 5 talks to everybody. Paul talks about parents and children. He talks about husbands and wives. He talks about slaves and masters. So it really applies to everybody. And Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The NASB version says, be subject to one another. Now the Greek word there of submit or subject means to put yourself under someone, to yield to them, to just... To say, okay, I'm gonna gonna put myself under you, I'm gonna yield to you, I'm going to prefer you. But what's interesting is when we look at this scripture, a lot of us miss the word one another. That is a reciprocal pronoun, a reciprocal pronoun. You know what that means? It goes two ways submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, when I look out for you and you look out for me and I prefer you and you prefer me, there's this really healthy balance that begins to happen. And so we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to lay down our lives for each other. And this is a verse that just became a part of our marriage very early on. We haven't always done it well. But when we're healthiest, we typically will start the week going, how can I be subject to you today? Now, I know that sounds very weird, but it's our way of saying, what do you need? How can I help? And sometimes that will be, you know what? You can do the dentist appointments this week. Sometimes it will be, you know what? You could pray for me because I'm really struggling with this. But just asking that question of how can I be subject to you? What can I do? And then usually the other person will then respond back. Okay, what do you need? Well, I could use help um, if you could, you know, not spend more money than what's in your bank account this week. It would be great. You know, something like that. That's, you can tell which one of us maybe says that. Um, You know, (laughs) they can't tell? Oh, it's it's definitely not me. Um, So lay down our lives for each other. Don't dig and claw and grasp at your position, but in grace and humility, willingly lay yourself down for the other person. It's hard to do in any relationship, but it's really hard to do in marriage. And I think sometimes in marriage we think, well, mice, but you're here to meet my needs. And yet that, it does doesn't work that way. We have to lay ourselves down for one another.
0: And you can see how that's an illustration of Christ and the church there, right? Christ was the ultimate example of this, laying down his life for us, preferring people. That's the ultimate preference of sacrificing himself, laying down his life. And now we as the church, we put God first. We put Jesus first. God, what do you want me to do? I lay down my life on the altar for you. This is that reciprocation that Christy's talking about.
1: So nothing will kill your flesh faster than yielding to another person, whether it's your spouse or any other person. I remember laying in bed with little kids and hearing somebody crying in the middle of the night, thinking everything in me wants to stay right here. Don't want to get up. Maybe if I close my eyes tight enough, they will just go back to sleep. But yet, there's something in laying down my life, getting up, saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to serve you. There was something that continually pushed down my flesh in my life that grew. And the same thing happens in marriage. When we continually say, How can I serve you? How can I prefer you? How can I think and make sure your needs are met? It pushes down our flesh. So, I want to talk specifically. Yes, you did get up sometimes in the night. Is that what you were gonna say?
0: No, I was just gonna sidetrack oh, us. So don't now, side-track now that us. you've invited me, I'm going to do that. No anyone done the when the when you're younger and you got small kids and the kids crying done the fake sleep?
1: Oh, totally.
0: <laughs> the fake totally sleep. Totally done the fake sleep. Only guys have their hands up right no, now.
1: No, I completely done that. I've completely <laughs> it's, pretended that's where like
0: you learn the art of fake snoring that sounds like yes! real that sounds like real snoring. A
1: hundred percent. I've totally fake slept. Okay. So I want to just give a a couple practical ways that we can walk out this mandate of being subject to one another. So I want to address the women first, and then I want to address the guys. So 1 Peter chapter 3 says this, "'Wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives,' Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. When I look at this passage of scripture, I think of the word soft. I think of the word soft, gracious, kind, seeing the needs of others, gentle in speech and action. Now, I might be super mindful of this with everybody else, but my husband tends to get the quick clip, the like, go do this, the shortness, those kind of things, the quick, snarky comment, fast to get angry, why don't you do this? And so when I look at this passage, a gentle and quiet spirit to me, this isn't a call to be a doormat at all. This has to do with how we relay our opinions, how we share our wants, our needs, and our comments, And when I have the mindset that I'm going to prefer my spouse, it's going to be mindful of the ways that I speak with him. I'm going to be mindful of how I can encourage him and build him up, not using words that are tearing him down. Why didn't you do this? I told you a million times. What's wrong with you? I think there's been over the last number of years, I've just noticed in culture just a really easy, quick way of like, "Ugh, men, duh, dummies. You know, there's kind of this cultural thing of like, Ugh, let's just shake our head. And I just don't like that narrative. I want to be honoring to my spouse. I believe in him. I believe that God has great things for him. And so being mindful of how I respond to him is so important. Remembering we're on the same team. So I guess I'm asking, are you soft when it comes to your spouse? Or has it become harsh? Has it become quick? Has it become critical? Those are the really important things. When I prefer my spouse, I'm thinking, what can I do to make his life better? In my attitude, how can I help him? How can I encourage him? How can I support him in the things that God has asked him to do? Proverbs 31, 11 says, Her husband can trust her. She will greatly enrich his life. I think of that all the time. How is his life better? Because I'm in it. Now, not just as a mother— Because that is easy for me. I'd be like, because I'll take care of your babies. Yes, that's why your life is better. But as a spouse, as a wife, as a partner, how am I enriching him as a person, not just as the dad? So these are really important things to ask herself.
0: I wanted to add one thing real quick. As she was reading those verses, talk you know, anytime you read the words, wives, submit to your husbands, and she said, I hear soft, and I hear this. There is also something in our culture today that recoils at that idea where they where the women are saying, I am not weak, I'm not soft, I can do you know, and that's all good. What we are saying here, and I want to encourage the ladies here. This is not a second-class citizen thing or lesser value right from the get-go when God created this. It's equal, equal value um, in the image of God. And so when Christy's talking about soft, I look at that. And when she is um, doing that in our marriage, I have never once seen that as any sort of weakness or any sort of like, okay, you know, great husband, I will, you know, submit to you. In week- that is not weakness at all. That softness, this, this lady is a champion in all sorts of strength, leadership, all of these things. And so I want to encourage the ladies. There's this idea in our culture that soft and preferring your husband means weakness and servanthood. And that's not what we're talking about here. It's that reciprocal idea. Does that make sense? Ladies, am I doing okay in saying that? Were you that? getting a little sweaty and nervous? I am. Oh okay. man, I get nervous when I do that.
1: <laughs> okay, guys, it's your turn. Now you can really get sweaty and nervous. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says this. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. For husbands, this means to love your wives what does it say there? He gave up his life for her. He gave up his life for her. This is an example of what God is saying when he says, husbands, love your wives. That means laying down yourself for her. Wow, what an incredible thing that is. It says that he laid out his, his life so that he could present her to the Lord. Um. In my marriage, this is probably, uh, this is the thing that my husband does amazing is he lays down his life every day to make sure that I can flourish in all of the things that God has called me to do. There's never once been a time of like, "Ah, I don't know if you should do that. If I say, man, I feel like God's calling me to do this. He's like, okay, let me clear the ground. Let me clear away all the rubble so that you can make sure that you're doing that. People ask me all the time, how do you work full-time and pastor a church and have four kids? It's because I have an amazing partner who sees it as his call in life to make sure that I am doing everything that God has asked and called me to do. And he clears the ground, and he makes the path straight, and he makes sure that I am flourishing. And I love this scripture because it really presents a picture that someday in heaven of a husband presenting His wife to the Lord, not as some kind of weird thing, but of saying, like, look, I helped her achieve everything you asked of her, God. That that would be a part of his reward, that he could present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, that you could say, Okay, Lord, I I did everything I could to make sure that my wife was flourishing. So my question for you, gentlemen, today is: Is your wife flourishing? Is your wife flourishing? And if she is not, what can you do to help her flourish? Is she fulfilled? Is she able? Is there the space for her to do the things God has called her to do? Are you coming alongside of her and supporting her in all of those things? Are you picking up the slack? Are you saying, you know, one of the things, I feel guilty all the time when I go to do something, and I'm so grateful. He's always like, we got this. Go. Go do what you need to do. The Lord's asked you to do that. Go. We got this. We got it. It might not be perfect, but I'm going to hold the fort down. So, whatever it is that you need to do, is your wife flourishing? Maybe she just is so lonely. And, gentlemen, you need to invest some attention into your wife. Is she flourishing? Are you laying down your life for her? I hear so often of women laying down their lives for their husbands. Man, I gave up everything. I gave up everything to, to help him achieve whatever he wanted. So men, this is reciprocal. What are you doing to lay down your life for your spouse so that she can flourish in everything God has called her to do? This is really important. Um, it has been the greatest unifier in our marriage, no matter what conflict we have. And believe me, we have a lot. We have a lot of conflict. We have a lot of things that we disagree on. I'm not short on opinions. He is also not short on opinions. But you know what? The thing that has constantly, I felt like, brought us back together is this thing that we look out for each other. And we work as partners to make our lives uh, grow and our marriage flourish and thrive. So I really want to encourage you. um, Now, I know sometimes this can feel one-sided, right? Some of you might say, well, I've been serving him for years. He never thinks about me. Some of you guys might be saying, I've been loving her. I've been laying down myself for her, and nothing I ever do is good enough. Or if I pref- once he prefers me, I'll prefer him. When she loves me better, I'll love her better. But here, I want you to look at Ephesians 5.21 again. What does it say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not submit to one another if the other person does it. Not submit to one another... When they do it, don't submit to one another if the other person is, but we do it first, not because of any other reason that we love Jesus. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the byproduct is it's the glue that holds us together. It means we do it first because we love Jesus. And so I want to close today. We want to pray for you, we want to pray for you, uh, your marriages and your families. Um, I want to read 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9 in the message version because I think it's just a beautiful way of summing this up. It says, summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you, no exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing, and you will also get a blessing. Let's pray.
0: So we are praying for marriages today and I know there are people in here that you are probably, I don't know, feeling all sorts of things, feeling some hopelessness, feeling some shame or guilt and we know every marriage here is in a different, different situation. So just know that there is mercy, that there is mercy and grace, that God, is love, God loves you. He wants what's best for you. He is working even through the difficult times. So I would love, if you're sitting next to your spouse, even if you're mad at them today, just grab their hand. And when I pray something that you think the other spouse should hear, you squeeze their hand a little bit. (laughs) That's the agreement in prayer. Lord, we thank you for, um, first of all, how you have been the model of this, the example of this. And if there's ever been someone who didn't need to submit and lay down and lay down his life for people, it would be the Son of God perfect and holy, yet you chose the path of humility because that's who you are. You chose the path of mercy and grace, and you laid down your life for us. And you have uh, authored marriage. You have designed it. And so, Lord, husbands and wives here, we commit ourselves to you. I pray that you would bring about a unity in the marriages here, that it would be not only a blessing to us but a glory to you, that other people, I would love it if Christians in this country could uh, lead the way in marriages that stay together because we're doing it out of reverence for Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, heal marriages today. And, Lord, I know that there are marriages here that are in a really tough spot, and uh, and I don't want any sort of guilt or shame on this, but, Lord, I just pray that your presence would invade every heart right now. Maybe just one spouse is here today. I pray that your presence would invade every heart, that you would bring healing and understanding and an openness of communication and that there could be real progress made, that there would be um, healing of past hurts, that there would be understanding of how to move forward, that marriages that need help would be able to reach out and find help that they need. And I'm praying for miracles, Lord. I, I Brett, there are marriages here that maybe one spouse is thinking, this is, you know, we're coming to the end. And I pray for a miracle today. I'm praying for miracles that you would turn it around as you have done so many times, that you would redeem, that you would turn it around. And I pray for all the single people here today that uh, even without a marriage in their life, that they would find ways to example your humility to those around them, to friends and family members and co-workers. all of us, Lord, in every relationship. We want to model your humility and to those who we are around and to those who are in our life. So I pray that you would strengthen marriages today, strengthen this church, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.